Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. here this evening the bible says after this jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled saith i thirst now there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth verse 30 when jesus therefore had received the vinegar He said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Within these three verses of Scripture are both the fifth and the sixth proclamations or crosswords, if you will, one being that Jesus said, I thirst, and the other statement then that he said was, it is finished. And so we're going to consider these tonight. I'm going to pray tonight that the Lord would help us in the teaching of the word of the Lord. Father, we're so thankful, God, for an opportunity to turn our attention once again to your word. We're thankful, Lord Jesus, for the technology that you have given in this hour, God, in order to go into the homes, Lord, of members and Lord, viewers and guests alike, Lord, with the teaching of your word. I pray, oh God, let it find a settled spot in our hearts and our minds. Help us, Lord Jesus, to derive encouragement. Lord, God, from your word tonight, instruction, and we know, God, it will be beneficial to our lives and be of aid to us. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. So how how to live through a bad day, part three, or crosswords as a subtitle that we've had around here, part three. There is a particular order. There is a order and a, a process to the next two crosswords that we want to consider here tonight. Both the fifth and the sixth crosswords are interlinked to a certain degree. Jesus said from the cross he thirsted because there was nothing left to be done except to say that it was finished. The crown of thorns had already been placed upon his head He'd already received the beating of the stripes upon his back. Uh, He's already taken care of his mother. A lot of things have already unfolded, just as the scripture had said it would unfold. And now he's at this position that it would seem the only thing left to be done is to say that it is finished, it is accomplished, and to surrender himself over into the hands of his father. It's at this point that Jesus is aware Uh, that everything is accomplished according to the prophetic scriptures, the way that the prophets had prophesied that these things would unfold. All these things have happened just like they said. Nothing, I think it's important to underscore that nothing was left undone that was prophesied that should or would be done. The fulfillment of scripture had had taken place, which was vitally important to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that scripture would be fulfilled. As a matter of fact, we see just how critical it was to Jesus for the holy writings to be fulfilled uh, even back in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible portrays that uh, Peter, the disciple of the Lord, was standing there when those bands of men came with their staves and their swords to the garden. And Peter, being uh, uh, 
the type of man that he was, quick to react, he drew his sword and he cut off the ear of the high priest's servant by the name of Malchus. And Jesus spoke to him concerning his sword, to put away his sword. And then he said this in Matthew 26, verse 53 and verse 54. And I'm reading these particular two verses from the Living Bible here this evening. The Bible says, Jesus said, don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? Verse 54, but if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what is happening right now? In other words, and I think this is a tremendous, a tremendous couple of verses, and I, I remember etching this in the side of my Bible whenever I read uh, the Living Bible through one year. Uh, in other words, the sacredness of Scripture and the inerrancy of Scripture is so strong that Jesus Christ wouldn't alter his own circumstances when he could have. When he could have called those thousands of angels to his aid, he wouldn't do that for himself so that Scripture would be fulfilled and satisfied just as they had been spoken from the prophets and spoken from the men of old. So Jesus was very protective of his word to to have done differently or to have not allowed certain things to come to pass or to happen to him uh, would have made, in, in, in essence, the word false and unreliable. But the Bible remains true today in part because Jesus subjected himself to the will of his Father, ensuring that all things would be fulfilled just as they had been foretold by the writers and the men of old. And as a result of that, we have great confidence today because we can stand on the word of God because Jesus bowed under the will of his Father. And so within Jesus' statement in John chapter 19 of I thirst, I thirst was a request in essence for something to drink. He makes mention of his need. And so within that is a request for something to drink, but not merely for drink's sake. Everything had been completed, remember. All these things concerning the cross of Calvary up to this moment have been fulfilled. There was nothing left to keep him from dying. Nothing left to keep him from giving up the ghost. Uh, the soldiers and the crowd that gathered that day, of course, we know, uh, did not kill the Lord. Uh, to say that they killed the Lord or they took his life would, would really be improper to say they did not kill the Lord. The Bible plainly tells us that it was Jesus Christ himself that laid down his life of his own uh, of his own will of his own doing he laid down his life look at john chapter number 10 and verses 17 and 18 this is this is jesus speaking before calvary uh, was ever into play uh, meaning as far as in the reality of it in john 10 and verse 17 jesus speaks these words he says therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life, 
that I might take it again. Verse 18, no man taketh it from me. So here's Jesus telling him, no man's going to take his life from him, not going to murder him or kill him. No man take it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. And so he laid it down. He would pick it up again on resurrection day. And so though as a man, as the human flesh that was hanging on that cross, though it was literally dying on the cross, Jesus had this peculiar choice and control of the exact moment when he would die, of the exact moment when he would surrender his life over to death and actually be considered dead. It, if all was fulfilled, if all had already taken place that the prophets had spoke of up to this moment of time, then it almost makes us scratch our head and wonder then why Jesus would prolong the inevitable of his death and, and of giving up his ghost or giving himself over into the hands of his father by saying, I thirst. Of course, it goes to reason tonight that it's not unreasonable for someone that was suffering a crucifix on the cross uh, to grow thirsty or to become thirsty. Uh, I mean, they have went through some excruciating pain. There's been a lot of energy uh, in their body uh, that's been involved with their crucifix. Their emotions have been all over the map. Uh, the sweating of their body, the blood that's come from the injuries upon their body, all of those things would, by nature, promote dehydration. It would cause thirst in a person's life. But why would he prolong, it would seem, all these things by saying, I thirst, when he could just turn over uh, his life, if you will, into the hands of his father? Jack Hayford explains it like this, and I wish to read it verbatim for you tonight. It says, Jesus' plea for a drink is a reminder that no one is so in control, so spiritual or so self-sufficient that he can make it through a bad day without people to help him. And so our fifth crossword is this. That we, in the words I thirst, is the concept or principle that we need to be human enough to acknowledge our need when we're going through difficult times. We need to be human enough to acknowledge our need when we're going through difficult times. Consider Jesus Christ. Really take the whole scope of who he, who he was uh, into play here. Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. So here was a man with two natures. He had a very real human nature, but he also had a divine nature. He was absolutely human, but he was also absolutely divine. And so the divine nature could have called, as he said in the Garden of Gethsemane, for an angelic deliverance, an angelic visitation. The divine nature would decide that exact moment when he would allow Jesus to surrender himself into the hands of his father, when all of that would take place. But in contrast to that, there is the human nature of Jesus Christ as well. The human nature that bruised, that bled, that, that sweated, so to, so to speak. The divine nature chose to lay down his life but the human nature of Jesus Christ needed some help to relinquish 
everything, all himself into the hands of his father. The human nature needed, I might say it like this, the okay to press his lips one last time to that cup of suffering that he had asked the Lord, if at all possible, let it pass. But if not, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus was God enough to lay down his life for us, and yet he was human enough to teach us that it's okay to acknowledge that we are in need during times of struggle and during, during difficult times. The wetting of his mouth and his tongue with the vinegar gave clarity to his parched throat so that whenever he trumpeted those words, it was finished. They would be clear. They would be sound. They would be heard. Make no mistake about it that he wanted, Jesus wanted the message of it is finished to be clearly heard. And so he acknowledges his need. I thirst. They bring him the vinegar. He acknowledges need as a man, as humanity, that he thirsts so that his declaration that would come next, it is finished, would have the strength and the clarity for those that were around about him. I would dare to say tonight, and this may not go, uh, may not be across the board the same for everyone, and it would probably vary from personality to personality, but to ask for assistance is a difficult thing to do for some. I'll speak for myself. Can't speak for nobody else, of course, uh, with limited people here. But I'll speak for myself here tonight and tell you that it's hard. It's hard for Paul McGee to ask for assistance. I'll tell you quite plainly and be transparent that my pride doesn't want to ask for help. My pride doesn't want to ask for help. I, I, I want to protect my image of being self-sufficient. I got this. And if, if, if I don't know how to do it, I'll figure it out. I got this. I've got to maintain, uh, it seems like for myself, that stance that, you know, be, be my own hero, so to speak. Don't have to have anybody else come in with their cape or with their ability. I, I can take care of this. I'm Paul McGee. I can do this. But Jesus did what he did whenever he said, I thirst. Presenting, if you will, his need as a human for the rest of us because he knew the makeup of humanity. He knew mankind. He knew their tendency. He knew that there were those. He knew of the Paul McGee's that was going to come in the future. He knew the Paul McGee's that was going to come in the, the future and was going to think and reason like I think and reason and just explain that I'd say I don't need no help or I, everything's okay, so on and so forth. He knew that there was going to be people that was going to have to be reassured by him in his earthly ministry, in his humanity, to know and understand it is okay to ask for a lifeline during some of our bad times. It's okay, if you will, to lean upon someone else whenever we're feeling like we're going to collapse. It's okay to lean on somebody else whenever we feel like our knees are buckling underneath us. It's okay to not have to square your shoulders back and say, I got it all together. It's okay to lean upon other people, our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Because here's the fact of the matter, uh, I believe, that people, that people that don't admit their need may find that their bad day will even shift into the worst day ever if they don't lean on somebody else. 
if they don't ask for the aid of somebody else. Here's the, here, here is something else to consider tonight. Whenever we are asking, whenever we're asking for help, it isn't that we're inviting a pity party into our life. Uh, that, that's the wrong concept whenever we're talking about asking for help. It's not that we're inviting a pity party or, uh, you know, a woe is me session or type of mentality whenever we ask for help. Uh, you're, you're not asking uh, for anybody when you ask for help. You're not asking for them to necessarily feel sorry for you. As a matter of fact, many people even say when they ask for help, now, I don't want you to feel sorry for me because that's, that's not what they're asking. They're not asking for anybody to feel sorry for them. But whenever we ask for help, Asking for help is basically asking for some of that extra undergirding uh, in the moment, in that horrific time, in order to get through the present situation, the present circumstances, in order for what needs to be done to be done. Just just having another voice, someone walk, walk b- beside us. They, they, they may not even be walking our path, but just to be walking beside us or knowing that they're there gives us the strength, the energy, the fortitude uh, to meet what is presently going on in our lives. And so Jesus from the cross needed to proclaim it was finished. He needed to get to that point where he laid down his life And so a drink, his thirst being appeased was going to help him voice that it was finished plainly and decidedly with the utmost clarity for all of those that were around in earshot distance. As a matter of fact, in part, that vinegar that they had on hyssop that they brought to his mouth was nothing more than a little undergirding to help him do what he needed to do, what needed to be done, the relinquishing of control, the it is finished aspect of the cross. In his book, uh, Jesus the Pastor by John W. Fry, he writes this, Jesus, our chief shepherd, on his scariest night, the night he was betrayed and arrested, invited his closest friends into his struggle. He said, watch with me and basically pray with me. If Jesus invited that kind of support and modeled that kind of vulnerability, he said, how much more do we need to be like him? We have looked at thus far in this crossroads series or how to live through a bad day. We have looked at how Jesus from the cross, he helped other people in his struggle He helped those that were near to him, such as his family, his mother, Mary, and how we need to do the same. We have looked at how he helped uh, the other thief, the thief that was on the cross next to him. And he was facing the same struggle that Jesus was. Both were being crucified. Both had pain and agony that was going on in their bodies. But Jesus helped him. But here's something that we must look at as well. We don't have to be the hero of our own story. We can acknowledge our need of help as well. Just as much as we can help people in our struggle and help those that are going through what we're going through and help those that are near to us, we can also ask for help concerning our own struggle. Because there is something, there's, there's something to someone who you always see giving and offering help to this one and and giving help to that one, to everybody else, but you never see them receive any help themselves. 
The fact is, they probably need help at times. Just because it seems like they're always helping somebody else doesn't mean they never need help. They probably need help sometimes. They just don't admit that they need help. And so the plea from the cross in the Ithersis, go ahead, go ahead, no matter how super spiritual you are. I mean, this is Jesus we're talking about. Go ahead and be human enough to acknowledge, acknowledge your need. The other statement then that goes with the, the I'm thirsty to his proclamation then from the help that he got with the vinegar that was put to his mouth to clearly declare it is finished that we find in John 19 and verse 30. That the, the very next crossword, number six, that comes from the cross then is this. Be assured there is a purpose and an end concerning your bad day or difficult time, whatever the circumstance may be in your life. It is finished is being assured that there is a purpose and an end. In Jesus' case, it is important to note that it, and I kind of do a little quotes here, it is finished and not I am finished. He was three days removed from his resurrection at this point of time. However, I believe it's also important to understand that, that what we are dealing with today will not always be there. The storm clouds are not always going to be lowering around you. The storm will pass eventually. The valley that you may be walking through right now, it is not endless. There's somewhere that it gives way, if you will, to a different terrain. It will be finished while whenever it is done said and over hopefully we as individuals will be made better by whatever it is that we have come through I know it's even hard to see today and I don't want to just constantly always every time we come here for service be riding the COVID-19 horse but somewhere along the way this is not going to be here anymore Somewhere along the way, all of the dust is going to settle from all of this. And hopefully as people, as a nation, uh, a lot of things, hopefully we're going to be made the better as a result uh, of it passing through our lives. That is not to negate the fact, though, folks, that is not to negate the fact that there are times that the finality of an it, it is finished, takes a who with it. But if it does, it does so not without purpose, whether we are aware of it or not. When Jesus was on the cross, the crowd said this to him before this moment in time of it is finished. The crowd said in Mark 15 and Matthew 27, two places where it's stated in the Gospels, they said he saved others, himself he cannot save. It, it's not that Jesus could not save himself, but it's that Jesus did not save himself because the purpose of his life was fulfilled in not being saved. The purpose of the whole scenario was fulfilled in him giving up the ghost and him relinquishing control of his life. Amen. Healing, for that matter, when we talk about sickness and disease, healing may work a purpose in one person's life, while that remaining sick may work a purpose in another individual's life. Paul said 
in the epistles concerning the thorn that was in his flesh that he had asked God three times, thrice, that he would remove it. And the Lord's response to him was that his grace was sufficient for him. This is what Paul said. This is what he has in the scripture of 2 Corinthians 12. He said, lest he should be exalted above measure. You got this thorn, Paul. Lest you be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that he was given. Paul had came here in the chapter talking about that he, he had an experience, whether in the body or out of the body, he could not tell. He said there were some things that he experienced that were not even lawful for him to repeat or be able to even talk about. Amen. And the scriptures say, and you're given this thorn in the flesh, lest you should be exalted above measure because you've seen things that you cannot even talk about uh, to the rest of humanity or mankind. I'm giving you a thorn in your flesh because I want to keep you humble because of the experience that you've had. And so that thorn, although it may be hoard and, and, and just, you know, to Paul, ridiculous that I have this in my friend. I've asked the Lord three times. He's saying, I'm going to keep that there. Why? Because there's a purpose attached to it. There's a purpose that is attached to it. And so we got to be assured that there is a purpose and that there, there is an end. For that matter, the quicker we become trusting, trusting of the inexplicable and paradoxical ways of God, the better off that we will be as human beings and as Christians. Because some have the idea, some believe if God can't be explained, then he can't be believed. But I would like to say tonight, if God's ways could always be explained, then he's probably not God. Because Isaiah 55 and 8 tells us, speaking concerning the Lord, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Verse 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I don't want anybody to misconstrue what I just said right there, but I hope you understand uh, the under, underlying principle of what I'm getting at. If you could always explain just all the actions and all of the thinkings of God, then perhaps he's not God because God's ways and his thoughts operate on a level higher than what human beings can even think. Amen. Or even begin at times to understand. But though I may not understand it and I can't think always like God thinks, that doesn't keep me from trusting in him. That doesn't keep me from having confidence in his plan, though I may be unaware of how all of that works out or even works for my benefit or good. I've just asked to I've been asked to trust him and have confidence in him. And so those words, it is finished, were a proclamation in reality. When he said it is finished, it was words that was a proclamation that were not even visible in the moment. I'm sure some probably thought, it is finished. What's Okay, he's given up the ghost. He's going to die. That's but it, it, it had a whole lot more meaning than being connected to somebody dying of it is finished. It was, it, was, it, was, it was done, Jesus was saying from the cross. And he would use time to allow, to materialize and make concrete exactly what happened in that moment of him saying it was finished. We read later in the epistles maybe what some of that it is finished of verbiage was all about when we read like in the book of Corinthians where the Bible talks about how death is swallowed up in victory and how that victory comes to us, to you and I, through our Lord Jesus Christ, particularly the work of the cross and the resurrection from the dead. 
Concerning it is finished, consider, if you will, Colossians, where the Bible talks about how the Lord was blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us. And how did that happen? Because both he and they, those ordinances, were nailed to a tree. Yes, that was finished. As the Apostle Paul explained to the church at Corinth, he told them in 2 Corinthians 4, you can look this up as a reference for your own, verses 10 through 12, Paul was explaining to the church at Corinth that the dying of the Lord Jesus gave way to the manifestation of his, Jesus' life in our bodies. His dying gave way to the manifestation of his life in our bodies. So there was a purpose. There was a purpose to the death. There was an end, even, if you will, to the struggle on the cross that in reality gave birth to a new beginning for you and me. Gave birth to a new beginning for humanity. The suffering on the cross was not a pointless suffering. The suffering on Calvary was not a needless struggle. It had a purpose. And so it's important to ask ourselves the question during troubling times and when trouble is advancing in our life. It's a good question to ask. I don't know if we always get the answer in the moment of our struggle, but it's a good question to ask rather than cursing the darkness, so to speak. It's good to ask, so God, what is the purpose behind all of this? Well, what's going on? What is the purpose behind all? All of this and just equally important as asking that question is realizing that its end may be our end, but it won't be without the achieving of its intention. There is a purpose. Sometimes we've talked about in the church people and healing and, you know, you pray for some, some get healed. You pray for others and they don't. They might have a a sickness or a disease that they're just going to have to contend with in their life. Or maybe someone that has a disease that is terminal. You pray for some and they get healed. There's a miraculous healing. And others, there is none. But we have this consolation. And in the moment, I know it's difficult to wrap our arms around this and see it as consolation. But as for concerning a child of God, someone that's walking in the ways of the Lord, if they have something that takes them by way of the grave, guess what? There was an end to their struggle. And there may have been a purpose in that that only eternity will ever know, but they got their healing. Just healing for them meant a, trans, a transition from this world to the next. Amen. And so the story is told, and I, I wanted to share this with you this evening. The story is told in the book. If you want to get how to live through a bad day, it's quite cheap. You can get it on Amazon, you can get the Kindle version of it. But in the book, there is a story that is told of a couple that's dealing with the death, the death of their baby. It had a tumor that was intruding and crowding in into its, its brain, its cranium, and uh, it ultimately took the baby's life. And the pastor was notified whenever this took place and happened early on a Sunday morning. And he made his way to the hospital to, of course, do what pastors do to offer words of comfort and consolation to this man and his wife and just a few days before he had spent some time praying with them and 
praying for the infant and even praying that the infant's life would be sustained, that it would live. But now they were contending with something far different. They were dealing with the brutal reality of its death. And so he no doubt is rummaging through his heart and mind. What can I say? What can I offer to comfort this family? And so the pastor hurried to the hospital trying to gather words in his mind for the sorrowful moment. And as he approached an intersection where there was a flashing red light, he noticed that there was something laying in the intersection. Uh, No other vehicles were around at that moment, so there was nothing there prompting him to go ahead. Uh, So he got out of his car to go see what it was in the intersection. He plainly says that he felt like he had to see what was in that intersection. He felt like doing this. And there in that intersection was a a dead sparrow with its head completely removed. And upon seeing this, he heard a message. He said that, he felt was whispered in his spirit that said, not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Do not therefore, do not fear therefore, you are more valued than many sparrows, which has its basis in the book of Matthew 10. So that brought consolation to him. He actually shared it with the man and his wife, shared it with their family. Not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. So the, so, so the takeaway for us tonight is this. Be assured that whatever the outcome may be concerning your difficult time, that there is a purpose and that there is an end and that the Father's will may be at play and that in spite of it all, that you are valuable to him and that helps us in our confidence and trust in him when we know that we're valued to him because we know he has our best interests, our best interests in mind. The seventh and the final crossword or proclamation from the cross to help us during our times of struggle is found in Luke 23 and verse number 46. The Bible says, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit or I commit my spirit unto you. The final crossword and principle is this tonight on how to deal with our struggles and difficult times, you must finally surrender your day, week, month, year, whatever the time frame may be. You must surrender that to God, and you must let go of that to God. Because the tendency of a bad day is this. The, conti- the tendency of a horrid moment is this. Bad days turn to bad nights. Have you ever laid your head down upon your pillow at night, and the reason behind your sleeplessness The reason behind your restlessness of tossing from front to back, it wasn't because you didn't get enough to eat at dinner time. It wasn't because this, that, or the other. It was because you you, you laid down, you closed your eyes, you'd had a horrible day, and what does your mind begin to do? It starts to relive some of the moments of that horrible day. Or perhaps you're not reliving the moments, but you're, you're, you're laying there and you're tossing and turning and you're thinking, you're trying to figure out some course of action to make right what was wrong in that day, to 
somehow correct what went wrong about Bay Area. Or you might be strategizing, how in the world, how in the world can I make sure we don't have a repeat of this matter tomorrow, right? How can I make sure that, you know, this doesn't turn into a bad week? And so we struggle with these type of things and, and they weigh heavy upon our hearts and upon our minds. And so the Bible gives us some instruction through First Peter chapter number five. The Bible says in First Peter chapter number five, and I want to read verse six and seven. We could just read verse number seven, but verse six really has bearing upon this. The Bible says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care. When we get to verse 7, he says, casting all your care. He's telling us one of the ways in which we can humble ourselves before the Lord. Because here we are again, right? I'm in need. I'm in need. Pride says I don't need help, right? Humility says I can't do it by myself. I can't do this alone. And so we casting, verse 7, casting all your care upon him for he care for you. For that matter, look at this. You, you get the attention of God when you are just blatantly honest concerning your need. Because doing so shows humility. And the Bible, I believe, tells us also in James, I think it is, if it's not here in, in Peter itself, but he tells us that God gives grace to the humble. But he resisteth the proud. And so the attention of God is acquired when we humble ourselves and we cast that struggle, that bad, horrible, weak year, whatever it is, upon the Lord and let go of it toward the Lord. We cast all our care upon him, the Bible says, for he careth for you. You're not being an imposition to God when you cast your care upon him. You're not doing that at all. God, he is our father when we speak in terms of family relationships. We're his children. We are his, we, he is our father. What father is there really, loving father among us, that would be put out by their child asking for their help? Asking, if you will, for their assistance or their guidance. No one would. The Bible says, the Amplified Bible of, of, of this same verse here speaks this. It says, of verse number seven, casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him. For he cares for you affectionately and cares about you Watchfully, All those anxieties, worries, cares. I dare to say there's a lot of those that's swirling right now in people's life. But we are to cast that care upon him. The words of casting care upon the Lord in First Peter. Uh, in the Greek, they are in a tense that denotes an act of once for all. The only other time we see this casting of care Greek word used in the New Testament scripture is in Luke chapter 19 and verse 35 where the Bible says there were people that came out uh, to the Lord. The Lord was going to be riding upon the coat into Jerusalem on his triumphal entry. And the Bible says that people took their coats and they cast them upon the colt that Jesus rode upon. And it's important to note, it's not people tore a piece of their garment off and cast it on the, the burden of beasts. And then Jesus said, they didn't just take a portion of their garment and throw it upon the coat that Jesus rode on. But they took their entire garment. They took their entire 
coat and cast it upon the coat that Jesus was going to ride upon and casting it all upon there. So, so don't be selective. Well, you know, Lord, I just need help with this. You know, no, cast all your care upon the Lord. The Bible, look at it. Luke 19 and verse 35. And they brought him to Jesus, speaking of the colt, and they cast their garments upon the coat. There it is, that casting. is the same casting of care of in, in 1 Peter 5. Same word. They cast their garments upon the coat, the entirety of them. And they set Jesus thereon. Here is one way that, that you can cast your cares upon the Lord. Here is one way that, that you can be anxious for nothing. And that is to pray about whatever it is that you're currently struggling in. Pray about whatever it is. Surrender that to God. One way you can cast your care is surrender that problem, that trouble to God by praying about it to God. That's what the Apostle Paul urged and what he taught in Philippians 4 and verse number 6. Philippians 4 and 6 says, Be careful for nothing. Other translations of the Bible states it like this. Be anxious for nothing. Or do not worry about anything. So be careful for nothing. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about everything, uh, anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So you want to surrender your struggle, your problem, your trouble to God, a good venue or way in order to accomplish that and do that is take it to God in prayer. Amen. If, if, if trouble's going to follow you anyway, take the trouble to the prayer room. Huh? Uh, if, if it's going to be there uh, nagging at you through your day, go on and surrender your horrible days to God through prayer. Amen. We as a nation need to be surrendering our current global situation to God through prayer. Don't worry about it. Don't be anxious about it. Cast it upon him. Cast that COVID-19 upon him through prayer. Because here is something that we need to reason with tonight. You cannot effectively cast it upon him and retain it at the same time. Huh? You, if I have a ball and I throw it to another person, I got to relinquish all control of it for it to get to where it needs to go. So I can effectively cast it to somebody else and keep it at the same time. We need to cast all of our care, all of our worry, struggle, anxiety, fear, emotion, whatever it is we're going through, cast it upon the Lord. Author, and not author as in writer, but his name is Arthur. Arthur Summers Roche wrote, Anxiety is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel to which all other thoughts are drained. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He said, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength. See, God cares for us. That's what it said in the book of Peter. God cares for us. The verb care there in that portion of God cares for us is in a tense that indicates a continual care. God continuously cares for us. Insomuch that one might even say that God is, and I like this, God is our caretaker. And so since he is our caretaker, I urge you, surrender your struggle to him and let go of it yourself. As the children, as the children of Israel approach 
the promised land in the Old Testament for the first time. Moses, their leader, their deliverer, attempted to reassure them that God who brought them out of Egypt was going to bring them into the land of Canaan. He was going to bring them into the land of promise. God had fought for the Israelites back at Egypt. The Bible says whenever the Israelites left Egypt, they left with a high hand. So it's speaking of their victory, of their power, of going out with their heads up and their shoulders squared back. That God fought for the Israelites. The Israelites left Egypt with a high hand. And so Moses wanted the people to know that God wasn't going to do or be any different as they began to conquer the different regions and cities of the land of Canaan, of their land of promise. Even in the wilderness between Egypt and the land of promise, Moses reminded them that God was caring for them, that God had provided multiple things, food and water for them. Hear what the Lord said in Deuteronomy 1 and verse 31. Moses is speaking to the people. He says, in the wilderness where thou hast seen how that the Lord thy God bare thee, as a man doth bear his son in all the way that he went until ye came into this place. Moses is driving home the fact. God took care of you in your struggle in Egypt. God's going to take care of the struggle you're going to have in the promised land. For that matter, God has taken care of your struggle between those two points in the wilderness. And he goes a step further. Not as only God taking care of your struggle, look at it, but God hath, he, he bare thee. God bare thee as a man doth bear his son. Amen. So God took care of them in their departure from Egypt and the span of distance from Egypt unto the promised land. He bore the Israelites as a man would bear his son. Folks, there, there isn't anything more nurturing there isn't anything more nurturing or, or a more loving picture than a parent holding their child. There isn't, it, I mean, you see it. You'll go through social media and you'll see some woman that's holding her baby. And you know what? Without saying it's a, oh, so precious. I mean, their baby don't even have to be cute, but if they're just holding one, it's just, oh. They're just so precious. There's nothing more nurturing or loving than a parent holding their child. And yet that is how Moses described God was tending to the Israelites. The Bible says in Psalms 55 and verse 22, we're, we're coming to a close here. Psalms 55 and verse 22, the psalmist says, cast thy burden upon the Lord. I want you to watch the wording here. Real closely, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Almost takes one by surprise when they read it. If we pay attention to it, it would almost be like I would expect it to say, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain it or take care of it. But it says, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. The one that had formerly been bearing the burden. And so what we had then in God's great holy word is this. We have a God that we can cast our cares on. But we also have a God that we can cast ourselves 
upon. We have a God that doesn't only bear our cares or what may be troubling us, but he also bears us. For that matter, if you consider it in this way, if you'll be vulnerable enough to let God bear you and uphold you, in that moment, he'll be bearing whatever you're bearing as well. If you got troubles on your shoulders and you'll cast yourself upon the Lord, it is you and your care that the Lord is bearing. It's you and your care that the Lord is taking care of. And he will sustain you. So the last lesson from the cross on how to make it through our difficult times is that we need to relinquish that control. Whatever it is, we need to give it to God. And we need to let go of the struggle because he can care for us and he can handle whatever it is that we may presently be going through. That's how to live through a bad day. That's the seven cross words, if you will, of the Gospels. And that concludes our series here for this evening. Before we sign off here tonight, I do desire a man to pray this evening and close with prayer over every household and every individual. Father, I come to you tonight. I'm so thankful, Lord, for an opportunity to share your word, for an opportunity, God, to teach God from some of the statements of the cross that I pray, Lord, was helpful and beneficial, Lord, to those in their homes, Lord, this evening. God, if we would not be hearers of the word only, only, but doers of the word, God, to put these principles in practice in our own life, God, Jesus Christ, who was human nature and divine nature, if he subjected himself to, Lord, acknowledging, Lord, needing help, and to the point, oh, Lord, of a declaration of it was finished and it was over. There's a purpose and there's an end, and relinquishing control of what was there. God, then me, Lord, and others that are watching, Lord, here tonight should be able likewise, Lord, to relinquish control and acknowledge our need and find our help Lord during during times of trouble and despair I'm glad Lord we can go to you cast our care upon you and cast ourself upon you Lord you will sustain us and we trust in that and have confidence in that tonight because you are God and you are God alone in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen God bless you this evening have a wonderful week Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.